No more excuses. Maybe you feel like you're a slave to fear or a slave to some kind of substance that's holding you captive or who knows. This morning, my prayer is that God would break in and break through into each and every heart and speak so strongly that we'd all respond to Him as He wants us to respond. Last week, we talked about that we can't make excuses why we can't find all our fulfillment in God. That we have in our Lord and Savior a fountain of life that's been given to us, extended to us, and that we are so guilty of turning to other places, other sources, to find that which God says, just come to me and I'll give you all that you need. So last week was really a call to us as individuals to hunger and thirst for God. I got a book this last week I love to read, especially books that really challenge my faith and call me to obedience. It's a book called Hungry for More of Jesus. That's just where I am. I'm hungry. I want to know Him more. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you say, I don't, Pastor, I don't know where I am. Well, today God wants to direct you and direct all of us into that place of growth that will just say yes to Him. Today we're going to talk about our calling and how we can't give any more excuses to why we can't fulfill the very purpose that God created us for. Now, I'm not going to make them stand up, but we're blessed to have the sophomores, juniors, and seniors of the LaGrange College football team with us this morning. And so I just want you at First Baptist Church just to give these guys a round of applause for being here. They're in this area down here. Yeah. We're glad you're here. We got to feed them some breakfast. Got to share my heart with them a little bit about how great Jesus is and how fun college is. And, and we're thankful that they're here today. But a week ago, after our 11 o'clock sanctuary service, I got in my car and I drove to Tuscaloosa, Alabama to do a funeral for my uncle. My dad's the youngest of 13. And my dad's next closest brother in age, Uncle Ken, who I call the rock star Ferris uncle. He's an amazing man, humor, great spirit, passed away about 10 days ago. And I did the service. It was so good to see all my cousins and aunts and uncles. We hadn't gotten together for a long time. But as I was talking to his widow, Mevelyn, and hearing the story of their love, I thought, what better way to begin the service today? You see, 30 years ago, my Uncle Ken had a seizure. And then he found out after that seizure that he had a brain tumor. And he was told that you've got six months to live. That's even with treatment. He did maximum amount of radiation. A year's worth of kind of trial experimental chemotherapy at UAB. And at the end of his chemotherapy, the doctor was in tears talking to Ken saying, I've never known anyone to respond to treatment like you have. I don't see this happen every day. 
But we know who's the one who reached down from heaven and touched my uncle and gave him 30 more years on this earth. Yeah, age 72 in our long living society is not that old. But if you knew Ken Ferris and his story, that was many, many years past where he's supposed to live. I remember Mevel and his wife telling me on Saturday before the service, she said, I believe God has a purpose and a plan for every single person that's in the mother's womb. She said, I believe God intended for me to be married to Ken and be his caregiver. You see, the last 10 years of his life, though, hey, maximum chemotherapy, radiation, he had a stroke. So 10 years, he's bedridden, but he's still telling jokes. Great attitude. You just couldn't keep that guy down. Yet Mevlin said, I believe that God purposed for me to be married to Ken so I could love him and take care of him until he opened his eyes and saw Jesus. She said, you see, when I was just four, my daddy got sick. And I watched my mom take care of him until he passed away at age 16. It was as if God had been preparing me my whole life to be the wife of a man who was sick. And she was there by his side. In fact, daughter Brandy told me, she said, I'm convinced Ken would not have lived as long as he lived if mom hadn't been there taking care of him. She knew her calling. She knew her purpose. That she was called to Ken to be his wife, to support him, to love him in sickness and in health. And she did so faithfully. And it brought such glory to God. I told her, I said, listen, Mevlin, I... Romans 8, 28, that's the story of y'all's life, that we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. I said, I, that chemo they gave him, they took it off the market. It's like God just made that chemo just for him. And God just made you for him. And God just brought you together. And God just gave you this kind of love and devotion and faithfulness. And he was a character. And she'd say to him when he was in, in the bed, she'd say, Now, Ken, if you don't cut it out, I'm going to put you in a nursing home. I mean, he just was a character. But they endured through all the life trials. And she fulfilled her purpose. She had every reason. She did. To say, you know what? I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to put him in a facility and live my life. She said, no, I'm... I've got a purpose. I've got a calling. And she fulfilled it. And one day, when Mevlin stands before Jesus Christ, when she breathes her last, God's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. There's a person in Scripture that we elevate and give so much respect to, and his name is Moses. We're going to look at his life in about 20 minutes, which is impossible to do. But to help you with that, if you, if you got a bulletin and you came in, there is an insert that has my outline that will help you. Got a lot of ground to cover in a short period of time. But if there was ever a character in the Bible who gave excuses, who offered excuses to God... For why he couldn't fulfill his calling, it is Moses. So chapter 1 begins, 
And it tells us that there was a king or a pharaoh in Egypt who did not know Joseph. Well, who's Joseph? (laughs) Well, you find out about Joseph back in the book of Genesis. You see this guy, Jacob, whose father was Isaac, whose dad was Abraham. This guy, Jacob, who wrestled with God and God changed his name to Israel. He had a bunch of children, specifically sons. Think about my dad and all of his siblings. So here is Jacob having all these children, and they're going to become the tribes of Israel. And one of those sons was named Joseph. And dad had shown great favoritism to Joseph. Jacob made him a special coat of many colors and, and showed terrible parenting skills and loved them, his son Joseph more. And the brothers knew it and they despised him and they hated him and they looked for every opportunity to get rid of him. And they had their chance one day. And they sold him into slavery down to Egypt. God had a plan. God worked his plan because God gets Joseph in Egypt and God blesses him and prospers him from being a servant, a slave, even in jail. And God elevates him to the second person in command for an entire nation. There was a terrible famine. Guess who comes down to Egypt for food? All his brothers. Guess who rescues his brothers and his elderly father from dying of starvation? Joseph. They, his brothers, meant it for evil, yet Joseph says God meant it for good. And while Joseph was at the helm beside the Pharaoh of Egypt, God prospered, God blessed. But Exodus tells us another king came to power who didn't know Joseph. And the Israelites were multiplying growing as a nation. And the Egyptians were afraid. They were a threat to their culture. They said, what if they join with another kingdom and fight against us? So they devised a plan to enslave the Israelites. And they did for 400 years. Enslaved them. Made them work in the fields. Made them do unthinkable things. Beat them. Mistreated them. And even then, they still kept multiplying and growing as a nation. So Pharaoh says, enough's enough. Take every Hebrew boy that is born and throw him into the Nile River to his death. But God had a plan. There was a man from the tribe of Levi. That's the priestly tribe. And a woman from the tribe of Levi. And they married and they gave birth to Aaron. They gave birth to Miriam. And they gave birth to another little boy. When they couldn't hide him any longer from the authorities, mother put him in a basket. She weatherproofed the basket, pushed the basket down the Nile River. And I just, in my mind, see the finger of God, the hand of God, direct that basket with little baby Moses right to a spot where Pharaoh's daughter just happens to be down there bathing. And ooh, there's a baby. And she adopts that baby and raises Moses as her own. Then the story is silent. Fast forward 40 years. So we know Moses was raised with Egyptian royalty. We know he understood 
Egyptian culture, but he also knew his heritage because we learn later in Exodus 2 that he goes out among his own people and he sees an Egyptian mistreating and beating one of his fellow Hebrew countrymen. And what does he do? He looks this way. He looks that way. He takes the guy out. He kills him. Moses was a man's man. He had to be strong. Took the Egyptian out. Hit him in the sand. Thought nobody saw it. Next day he walks out. Two Hebrews are having a fight. He tries to step in and bring peace. They say, who made you a ruler over us? What are you going to do, Moses? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday. Moses thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, they know. The word got out. Word got back to King Pharaoh of Egypt. And there was a price for Moses' head, so he fled. He went to a place called Midian. God had a plan. God had a purpose through it all. There he met his wife, Zipporah. There he entered into the second phase of his life as a shepherd. Forty more years of his life. To Moses, he had to think, I'm wasting away with these sheep out in the wilderness. He tended his father-in-law's sheep, a shepherd. So we find this guy, Moses, he's 80 years old, has a family of his own, he's away from his people, and he comes to what's called the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, and he sees a bush, and the bush is on fire, yet it's not being consumed. That made him a little curious. He goes toward the bush. The bush speaks to him. Moses, Moses, Moses says, here I am. The bush says, take off your sandals. The place that you're standing is holy ground. And God says, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Yeah, it's me, it's God. I'm speaking to you, Moses. He doesn't say, yeah, it's me. That's my little <clears throat> add-on. <laughs> but, he's, but basically, he said to Moses, it's me, the God of gods, the God of the people of Israel, not just of Israel, but the whole world, and I'm speaking to you. And Moses is afraid, and then he gives Moses a specific calling. So three principles first about God's calling. First, God gives us our specific assignment. Look at verse 10. Exodus 3. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Couldn't be more specific. God says, I've got a plan for you, Moses. I want you to come and leave this life of being a shepherd and come back to Egypt and come lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, yes. No, Moses doesn't. The rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4, full of his excuses why he's not the man for the job. The Lord doesn't need or want us to tell him what we think he wants us to do for him. He doesn't need us to give him any kind of creative input. He doesn't need us to write him a job description for how we want our lives to be. God gives the assignment. He simply wants us to trust Him and obey. 
I can remember in college, I shared a little bit with these uh, football players during the, the break between, you know, Sunday's the early service and, and this service, and we talking, and I was talking about college, how God called me to ministry, how I met my wife, how it was such a, a great time of my life and growth and experience, yet I didn't tell them the story. I'll tell you this story. I, I felt such a yearning and such a desire to let my, my fellow college men and women know about the Lord Jesus. And so I had this plan that I wanted to go where I lived in the dormitory and I wanted to go door to door, knock on each door and just tell them about Jesus. And, and we, we prayed about it. I got a group together and we got ready to go and we go into the dorm and then they're like, uh, by the way, uh, you can't do this. That's soliciting and that's illegal. You can't go door to door. And like, oh man. My heart was right. I had plenty of opportunities from then on to talk to guys and girls about Jesus on campus. But my plan was my plan. It wasn't God's plan. I said, here's a good idea, God. Why don't you bless it? That's not how God works. God gives the assignment. God shows us what to do. We say yes, or we should, and trust Him. Second, God's timing is always perfect. His timing is always perfect. I mean, here's Moses, 40 years of age. I'm 40, I'm, I don't feel that strong, but Moses was obviously stronger than me. He, put a, he killed a guy. I mean, he saw the injustice. He wanted to make a difference for his people. God says, nope, not time, Moses. It's not my time. You're not ready, Moses. Why not? He was young. He was strong. He had life. He had energy. Nope, nope. You're not where I want you, Moses. Fast forward 40 years, this old guy that's a shepherd, and we know Moses is humble. Numbers tells us, Numbers 12, 3, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. But here's what happens to Moses. Here's this young buck ready to change the world and save his people, and he fails and the pendulum swings this way, and here's this guy who is now humbled, broken, but he goes to a place of spiritual paralysis. Who am I? I can't do it. They won't listen to me. No self-esteem, no faith, beaten down, broken. Maybe today that's where you are. Maybe you're like, man, I'm here at church. I want to you know, look good or whatever, and everybody think I'm trying to serve God. But deep down, you're like dying. Your world's falling apart. You feel so weak. You feel so helpless. Good news. God will use you before he'll use the other people who think they got it together. God says, that's how I can use somebody who knows he needs me. But Moses goes even too far to a place of despair. God wants us humble. His timing is always perfect. Three. God's call flows out of His name and out of His character. Look at verse 6. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Fear gripped him, and it was a good kind of fear. He realized the king of kings is having a conversation with me from a bush. I just love the Bible. It's just amazing. It's an amazing book. We know it happened because who would make this up? It's incredible. God speaks to him, and he's afraid. 
But God says, my call for you flows from who I am. Next verse, verse 14. So Moses gives an excuse and God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. The covenant name of God. I am that I am, God says. Just tell them the one who is, the one who will always be, is sending you. That's all you need to know, Moses. God's call flows from his character. It's of utmost importance that we know the one who is calling us, the one who is sending us. And when we don't look at him and focus upon the Lord and we try to do things for God or make a difference in the world apart from looking to him, we will fail. We will fall flat on our face. We'll try to kill the other person or hurt the, other, uh, the enemy we're fighting against, whether it's, it's something in culture we're against or making the world a better place. And it's all good to have these intrinsic desires to change the world. And we see this, especially among the millennial generation. But if we're not looking to the one who's calling us, It ends up being just something that we want to do for God or for country or for ourselves. And we'll fail. I think about Peter walking on water. I think about it. Did Jesus want Peter to walk on water? Yes, he did. If you don't know the story, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes away for a season from his disciples. They're in a boat and there's a storm. And they're not with their master. There's 12 disciples, followers of Jesus. And Jesus is not there. But then during the night, they see Jesus and he's walking on the water. And they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. And Jesus walks. And Peter, if you know anything about the disciples, Peter's the one who always speaks up. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus could have said, Peter, it's me. Don't be afraid. Stay in the boat. That's not what Jesus said. He said, come. What does Peter do? He steps out of that boat. He begins walking on the water. And as long as his eyes are on Jesus, he's doing just fine. Takes his eyes off of Jesus. Sees the wind. Sees the waves. He begins to sink. Jesus takes him by the hand. Says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, we have little faith. As I, we apply this, this passage to our lives, I want us to apply it individually, that God has a specific purpose for each one of us, but also apply it to our entire church family. What are His purposes for us as a church? His call flows out of who He is. Your understanding and knowledge and experience of who the living God is will inform the way that you and I serve. Little service, little God. Shake the world, change this planet, change LaGrange, change it all for the good. Great God. I am God. That kind of God. 
So it really matters how we view God, how we know God. That will inform the way that we serve. We're living in a day and time where the church must, with a prophetic voice in these days as a nation, speak to the evils of white supremacy. Amen? We live in a day and time where the church of Jesus Christ may do something about the terrible tragedy of children trapped in poverty, children without mothers and fathers in foster homes around the world, orphaned, that we must say, yes, Lord, we will adopt these children. Yes, Lord, we will care for these children. And it takes a great understanding of a great God for us to do that. Amen? And so as we come to know the one who is the living God, we will do great things for him as he gives the assignment. God has great things in store for his church. Oh, that God would give us ears to hear him. Now, I got carried away and started preaching a little bit, but uh, if you look on the insert, there's several different excuses that Moses makes. You can read those. We make the same excuses. <laughs> who am I that I should go? I mean, God, I mean, who am I? I can't, I can't do that for you. I, who am I? I don't know you, God. Who are you? And Moses didn't. He was a spiritual infant. He didn't know who God was. And it's true that we really can't serve God until we come to know who He is in right relationship with Jesus, and then we'll serve Him. And then Moses struggled to trust those people. Well, well, why do they don't listen to me? That's our biggest thing as Christians. Oh, I can't share about Jesus. Why don't they reject me? We just sang the song. God just, last week, God woke me up at 4 a.m. one morning. I'm like, man, I want to sleep. I'm just being honest. And God says, get up. I go downstairs. I lay on my face in prayer. You know what God told me? You're afraid of man. Fear me. If you're going to speak my word, then you speak what I give you to say. Don't be afraid of anybody but me. And I wept like Peter. I said, oh God, it's true. And we're all guilty of being afraid. What if they don't like me? What if if they think I'm, I'm weird? We've got the gospel. We've got Jesus. We've got the greatest news that anybody could offer. All of us are called to share his love. Be his people. You can overcome the fear. You're a child of God. Moses was afraid. He said, oh, I can't do it. I'm slow of speech. My tongue, I can't talk right. Oh, I can't do this. God says, I made your tongue. I'll tell you what to say. Finally, he says, oh, God, send somebody else. Somebody else, God, I can't do it. And God got angry. And God says, of course you can't do it. That's my paraphrase. That's why your brother Aaron's on the way. He'll meet you in the wilderness. And the two of you together will do it. Which tells us that none of us by ourselves can do it. That's part of Moses' problem. He sees the Egyptians. He takes them out. God says, nope, you're not strong enough. He's weakened by age and by calling. And God says, I've got another plan for you, Moses. Not by yourself. Use your brother Aaron. Work together for me. That's the church. Together we're serving God. 
three or two more, some more truths just to close with. I am promises to be with us and be at work in what he calls us to do. In the passage, we see it so clearly. God says, I'm going to come down. He says that. I have come down to deliver my people. So if God's speaking to your heart about something, God's already at work in that something. He's going to do something great through you. He's working. And God says to Moses, I am with you. He promises to be with us and be at work. Number two, God created us uniquely for our calling and gives us everything we need to fulfill it. Everything, everything. I love Exodus 4.2. God says to Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. That's what God wanted Moses to be. He wanted a shepherd to lead his sheep out of Egypt. Not a young, headstrong man. He wanted a shepherd. God's given you whatever it is in your hand. And He can use you as you are to serve Him. All that we need is in Him. Number three, Moses is an absolute mess. He's a mess. We say, oh, the great Moses. And yes, he becomes great. But this guy is a mess. And so are we. Good news, church. He can use us all. He can use us all. Because there's one who heard the call from his father who always said yes. You see, Moses is a type of Jesus. And Jesus came to set us free, not from physical slavery, but from the slavery of sin. And Jesus came and gave his life for you and me to set us free. He said yes to his father. He says, I want to rescue you wherever you are. Maybe you're even a Christian this morning and you're in despair. You're struggling. Jesus has come to rescue you. He's come to save us and redeem us and give our life meaning and purpose. So have you said yes to his rescue? And if so, will you say yes to his calling? There's a general call for us. A general call that we love all people all people. That's every race, every nationality, every lifestyle, every culture, every language, every religion, that we love everyone with the love of Jesus. That's our calling. And that we then make disciples, that's followers of Jesus from all nations. That's for all of us. Now, specifically for you and for me, it's going to look a little differently. No more excuses, church. Let's say yes to him. Just say yes to whatever he's calling you to do or to say. The band's going to come and lead us in our closing song of response. This is a time that we as a church can respond to God in obedience. And so I want to invite you to stand. As the band gets into position to lead us in worship, Please just remain engaged with us. We're just going to sing praise to Him and worship Him. And maybe this morning you're like, Kate, I'm not even sure what God's doing, but like I feel all this stuff in my heart and it's like strange and I feel like nervous and I feel convicted and I'm like, what is going on? I'm going to tell you something. If that's how you feel, just come down here and I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. I'm not going to judge you or make you feel uncomfortable. I'm just here as a pastor to guide you to try to understand what God's saying to your heart. 
Maybe today's like, Kate, it's time to join this church. It's time to unite with this congregation. I want to be on mission with God. You come. Maybe you're like, Pastor, I just need to pray, need to pray for me, or I need to get baptized, or, or Kate, there's just stuff going on in my life. I just need help. If your staff doesn't know, we can't pray for you. So let's share. Let's be one body. No more excuses. Just say yes to Jesus today. Father, our hearts are open. We ask you to speak to us, Lord. You told me, God, just a few days ago that if I just speak my heart that your sheep would listen. God, I'm sorry I've been afraid of man. I'm sorry I've been afraid. Lord, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Lord, I pray that all of us will find our calling and and wrestle with what you're calling us to do and just say yes to you, oh God. You have a purpose for each person in this room. Each person is beautifully made in your image. You have purposes for this church far greater than what we've done. Let us say yes. To do whatever it takes to be who you've called us to be. And to do what you've called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name.